0: On behalf of the American people, DOE has spent 2023 compiling an impressive list of accomplishments, from shaping the future of transportation to creating thousands of good paying clean energy jobs. I'm your host, Sarah Harmon, and you're listening to Direct Current, the Department of Energy's podcast. On today's episode, to discuss those great accomplishments, we have a very special guest joining us none other than U.S. Department of Energy Secretary herself, Jennifer Granholm. Welcome, Madam Secretary. We're excited to have you join us here today. So glad to be on. I'm a big fan, so I'm glad to be participating. I can't think of a better person to do so. Also joining us today for the trip down memory lane will be Charisma Troiano.
1: Hi, Sarah.
0: Welcome, Charisma. Shall we dive into it then? Let's do it. Let's go. All right, let's go. The <laughs> jewels that these national labs are. In terms of science and scientific capabilities.
2: Big dreams can happen.
1: Keeping our nation safe. Clean
2: energy is way of the, the future. It's America's economic engine. It's science for the people. This is direct current
1: right secretary it is so good to be here with you um and as we look back on 2023 which has been quite the year for doe for the biden harris administration i'm really interested to know when you're sitting back and you're with your family and you're thinking back on 2023 what are you reflecting on as some of the accomplishments that oh my God. you've been able
2: to do i mean as you know So much has happened this past year since the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, which we call the President's Invest in America Agenda. The most consequential energy laws that have ever been passed in this country, arguably the biggest in the globe. And we're seeing the results happen. So, for example, the Energy Information Administration just came out with their short-term energy outlook. And in that, they are projecting that in... 2023, we're going to have installed 23 gigawatts of solar. That's a lot. I mean, just for our listeners to put that in perspective, the Hoover Dam is two gigawatts of power. And just in solar in 2023, we have we have seen the deployment of 23 gigawatts. That's, you know, I mean, that's A significant number. It's over 10 Hoover dams. But then they're projecting that next year, it's going to be another 37 gigawatts. So 60 gigawatts of solar alone just uh, in America because of this agenda this inflation reduction act the incentives for deployment are irresistible that's that would mean in the past uh, in the two years of 2023 and 24 we would have ended up building the equivalent of 30 hoover dams i mean that's impressive amazing yeah. and that's just in solar wow
1: <laughs> now, can you imagine when we add in wind, wind. and everything else? And battery Batteries, storage. Yeah.
2: yeah, you were telling me today that there oh, was right. another seven gigawatts of battery storage that has that rolled out this past year. I mean, it is really astonishing to see, and people should feel really great about it. I mean, as we consider, for example, just coming off of, of the Conference of the Parties of COP uh, and the commitment that countries are making to tripling the amount of renewable energy. I mean, we are we are on track to be doing that, and people should feel very proud of that.
1: What a time I know I am proud of it. <laughs> I know. Well, and, you know, just speaking on clean energy, as we focus in a little bit on that, you know, for most American households, and I know for myself when I'm looking at my energy bill, um, that is one of the most essential line items for a household's budget. So, I know that you have visited quite a few homes um, through quite a few states uh, throughout the country this year where folks have really taken steps to weatherize uh, their homes. And so I'd love to hear a little bit from you about what it's been like in those living room conversations. What have you heard about the benefits that folks are seeing yeah, from that? Yeah, it's
2: so great. I mean, I know you've been with me in a number of these places. And first of all, just to let people know that under the bipartisan infrastructure law, there was a huge increase in the amount of weatherization dollars going out to the states. In fact, it's about a 10 times increase, right? Tenfold increase. So. So that means the states are able to do a lot more homes. And these are for folks who are income constrained. So a lot of times when they're doing their monthly budgets and they've got to really pay a lot more for energy, that obviously takes away from other things. So when I think about this visiting homes like the Tillmans in Georgia, and they were talking about how they have cut by weatherizing alone, they've cut in half their energy bill, their electricity bill, their gas bill, their water bill. In fact, the Tillmans alone are saving $3,000 dollars a year they it's it's huge for people who are income constrained so and that's just one example there's thousands of these stories across the country and this all gets to the point of how um strategies to install energy efficiency are all about bringing down the cost for real people. The Biden administration is totally focused on reducing people's costs. As I'm speaking to you now, I think the average price of gas is down to $3.10. I believe it's $3.10, $3. yeah. $3.10, which is amazing and a lot of that has to do with obviously what's going on in the market but a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know the biden administration has really been focused both on on production and on making sure that peoples that 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 our interventions in the global market can keep prices down but it's also true on energy efficiency and part of that is also true on installing for example solar panels you know the inflation reduction act gives you a 30 percent reduction Uh, on your installation of solar panels. Solar is, in most places, the cheapest form of energy. Again, bringing down the price for real people. So between weatherization, energy generation, clean energy generation, and the tax credits associated with that, all of that is about reducing people's costs.
1: Um, That's fascinating. And I wanna just really quickly switch gears and talk a bit about manufacturing. Um, And I know that from day one, this president, this administration has basically said that we are going to be making products stamped here in America, made in America. And when I hear that, I hear energy independence. And so I'd love to hear a little bit from you about what are these manufacturing progress points that we're seeing, and how is the president's investing in America agenda really helping drive that forward?
2: Oh my gosh, I mean, Charisma, because I'm the former governor of Michigan and I was governor during the Great Recession, and we saw, like so many states, so many manufacturing companies go overseas where they could labor arbitrage, essentially, and pay the cheapest wages. And other countries were in the game. They were luring our businesses overseas. And so we saw all of this uh, migration of manufacturing, which makes you a weaker nation. And this president came in and he said, no, we are not going to sit idly by and watch other countries poach our industries. In fact, we're going to become stronger as a nation because we are going to manufacture products and have the whole supply chain in the united states so therefore uh, the passage of this invest in america agenda has created such amazing incentives for the building of products for manufacturing and for supply chains in the united states we are seeing this reindustrialization of america products stamped made in america used here exported elsewhere and with american workers and so it's you're seeing this happen in pockets all across the country. We now have, I think as of last month, 340 companies announcing in uh, in cities across the country, that they are building up batteries and electric vehicles for the transportation sector. That's just in that uh, component alone. We're seeing it in wind. We're seeing we're seeing so much investment in the United States. That's true with chips as well for semiconductors. So it's very exciting for me. I just I'm just so. Uh, so happy that there is an industrial strategy now that we're not standing by and just letting you know the global free market uh, take away our jobs because that's not happening anymore super exciting gotta love a strategy gotta love a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> gotta love that strategy <laughs> and so I I want to um, kind of can I just jump back on oh, that for one, absolutely just one second on the strategy you know we've got a lot of tools inside of the department to build out those supply chains it's not just the tax credits but it's also for example we have the Loan Programs Office. is an office that got plussed up in this Invest in America agenda and they are identifying along with, we have an office called the Manufacturing and Energy Supply Chains Office, those two are identifying where are the gaps in the supply chain. So you hear from a lot of people, well All these electric vehicles and the batteries, they're all made in Asia. Why would we be incentivizing stuff that's made in Asia? Well, the whole point is we're incentivizing all of that to come here. So a battery is made out of an anode, a cathode, separator material, and electrolyte. All of that has largely been in China. But we now have an incentive to do the whole supply chain here, and that includes the critical materials that are found inside of that battery. So the uh, Loan Programs Office, our battery grants from the bipartisan infrastructure law are identifying those gaps and and rewarding companies who decide that they're going to locate and manufacture in the United States. Wow. It's great, right? It
1: really is. Definitely. I feel like I'm going to say impressive so many times during this recording. <laughs> impressive, right. <laughs> um, but, uh, and you
2: work here, and it's, and it's still impressive
1: every day. I am blown away <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to kind of look back a little bit on some of the, the communities, because you were just kind of noting how many facilities um, have kind of cropped up since this president took office because of this strategy, because of this agenda. And I know that you have been to some pretty unique places, places like we're in West Virginia, for example, these energy communities, how is the Biden-Harris administration this investing in America agenda really helping uh, those communities that have powered us for generations continue to do so in the future? Yeah, I
2: mean, this is one of the key parts, the really smart parts of this strategy is to really identify communities that uh, that have been left behind, that um, are in transition, that are fence line communities, communities that uh, have been in the shadows of power plants and breathing in unhealthy air. So that whole spectrum of communities that are challenged. There's incentives to locate these next generation clean energy manufacturing in those communities. So you mentioned Weirton, West Virginia, of course, that's in Appalachia. Weirton was a former steel town. And when the steel mill closed, uh, and it was sort of a one company town, if you will, everybody worked at the steel mill. The steel mill closed, sidewalks rolled up, uh, people moved away, young people moved away community felt like it was on its knees. And because of this Invest in America agenda, a company called Form Energy, which is making big uh, energy storage batteries, decided that they were going to locate on the site of the old steel company. And in fact, they are making batteries that are made out of, um, of iron, an iron process. Uh, on the place where steel was once uh, made, hiring hundreds of local people. And at the groundbreaking, it was so uh, rewarding to go there because one of the city council members, his name was Tim Connell, and um, he told me, he said, you know, my, I worked at the plant, the steel mill, and my father worked at the steel mill, and my grandfather worked at the steel mill, and I wanted my kids to work at the steel mill, and then, the steel mill closed and and my kids moved away and he said this is like a phoenix it is breathing life into a community that had been left behind it's so great i know isn't it i mean it's just uh, that's what's happening all across the country and so that's another reason why it's really i mean we we uh, we always are trying to recruit people to come work at the department of energy who've got uh, skills etc and you know, we're, because we're a government entity, we, we can't pay perhaps as much as the private sector, but what we say to people is, you will definitely gain psychic wealth because if you wanna change the world, if you wanna change people's lives who really are seeking some hope, you know, and save the planet, mm-hmm. I mean, what an amazing place to be!
1: Yeah, I mean, the, these stories, these these communities, um, and the the way in which they're going to be such a pivotal part in this clean energy transition. I mean, it's just really fascinating to to see it happen uh, in real life and basically in real time.
2: And then, and then I just have to say, on one more little follow on uh, on Weirton. in November we selected uh, Boston Metal. For a $50 million award to manufacture critical minerals for clean clean power and fuel cells and green steel supply chains, so now are they? They've got 700 people going to work at the Form battery plant, and then they've got uh, Boston Metal coming uh, for another manufacturing plant, and now you can begin to see a cluster of clean industry uh, forming in this community. So this is this is truly it is happening. Um, Everywhere. I mean, Appalachia is one place. It is uh, happening in the industrial Midwest where you've seen a lot of factories uh, close down. All of these factories now being reconverted that may have produced internal combustion engines now being converted to produce batteries or electric vehicles. Um, and revitalizing communities. So there's just, there's an awful lot of hope. And it's not just batteries and it's not just uh, electric vehicles. It is true with respect to saving, for example, nuclear plants and the, the hope that these small modular reactors bring. It's true with port communities that are now building up wind components and installing offshore wind it is hydroelectric power it is the full gamut of clean energy technologies geothermal in communities that have been pumping oil out of the ground and are experts in the subsurface Um, the fact that they can now pull up energy in the form of heat beneath our our feet uh, for geothermal. Uh, that's very exciting.
0: So, so much is happening. I'm sorry to go on and on. No, but, no,
1: not at all. <clears> I mean, communities across the country. I can't stop when you're talking about... <laughs> <It's so laughs> especially when it comes
0: to the Department of Energy. Actually, something it's you so just true. said kind of touched my soul as somebody who's been here for te- 17 years. I am a mission-driven person, and I say to everybody all the time, "Why have you?" when they say, why have you been at the department for so long? It's because I'm mission-driven, and I don't think that any obviously i'm biased but i don't i don't think there's there's another agency out here that has a better mission than doe we're so and we have our fingers in every little pie Mm -hmm. we do such exciting and compelling work and and it really does get you out of bed every day and it and excited to 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 go to work and do something really that's going to have a meaningful impact not just on the u.s but worldwide worldwide yeah we have a whole
2: international component to what we're doing you know our mission right now is um obviously we have a we have a nuclear safety mission and a a defense mission, but we also have this mission of getting 100% clean electricity on our grid by 2035. And that mission, and then getting to net zero by 2050, and that is driving all of these investments and decisions. And honestly, can you get a a better mission than saving saving (laughs) the planet, saving Uh -uh. our
0: shared home? You cannot.
1: And and speaking of getting to that 100% clean energy and talking... back about the huge spectrum of clean energy technologies. One that may be a little new to to listeners um, and to to many folks out there is is hydrogen. And we are definitely going big on hydrogen uh, here um, through DOE. Um, I know that many across the globe are also very interested in hydrogen as a clean energy fuel. Now, the Investing in America agenda, however, is really making this a new u.s industry so explain a little bit about why hydrogen is such a vital tool
2: yeah um thank you for saying this for raising this question because really this hydrogen economy which is what is being created here um, is going to benefit seven regions of the country that have been granted uh a billion dollars each essentially to be hydrogen hubs in partnership with the private sector. We always say that the clean energy economy is um, government enabled, but private sector led. And so these are all public private partnerships in all of these regions across the country. And the reason why it's so important, hydrogen can do some of the stuff that we can't do otherwise, which is to decarbonize the hardest to decarbonize industries, cement, and steel, refining, the, the really hard stuff. And so we wanna make sure that, that that part of our greenhouse gas emissions is addressed. And so the hydrogen can come from a variety of fuels, if you will, um, natural gas is one of them, um, but natural gas still has greenhouse gas emissions. And there's also some challenges with leaking of methane. So these hydrogen hubs, there's a couple of them that really focus on Uh, that focus on natural gas but they have to remove the greenhouse gas emissions they have to sequester their uh their carbon pollution and they have to make sure that methane is not leaking and those are again applied to industry that are used to um, hydrogen as a way of uh, helping to fuel so that's one number two is hydrogen can come from renewable energy and so if you are if you have uh, hydrogen that's powered by the wind or by the sun it basically uses a process called an electrolyzer to split water the hot water is h2o two, two elements two atoms of hydrogen to one uh you know to one of oxygen and so you take the hydrogen atoms and you um you make hydrogen from them. And that is called green hydrogen often. Uh, It's zero carbon emitting hydrogen. And that's a very exciting uh, process to be able to decarbonize using zero carbon energy. And then there's another one, which is you can also get hydrogen from nuclear power. And so that's also uh, often referred to as pink hydrogen. Um, but the bottom line is you can get hydrogen from a number of different fuels. And it's it's very important for decarbonizing the heaviest and hardest to decarbonize areas.
1: Oh. And these, these hydrogen hubs that you were mentioning, they're also fueling jobs in these areas. And I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about the way in which when you and when the president and when the vice president think clean energy, they're thinking jobs. Um, I know that under this president, we have seen about well, 1.5 million jobs created already in manufacturing, construction, engineering. So what is the importance of really investing in clean energy jobs and kind of the, the spectrum, once again, spectrum of, of what jobs could look like? Yeah, I mean, it's jobs.
2: in fact, um, this uh, agenda, this clean, um, this Invest in America agenda it is, um you know it will go for a number of years and it's expected to create about nine million jobs across the nation and i like to say it's all kinds of jobs for all kinds of people three quarters of which do not require a college degree these are you know we're, we're going to need people to install the lines of transmission we're going to need people to be able to build the wind turbines. We're gonna need people to install those wind turbines. We're gonna need people to build solar panels, to install solar panels. We're gonna need logistics uh, people. We're gonna need nuclear engineers and nuclear operators. We're we're gonna need, same thing with building, uh, maintaining dams. Uh, I mean, all the way through, all of these different types of energy, tidal, power I mean wave power you're going to you're going to need people who have a whole array of skills all that can be trained it's all future facing jobs these are jobs that are not going to go away because the United States, as well as other countries, have committed to net zero by 2050, and that means that, that those products that get you to net zero are going to be in demand globally. In fact, uh, Bloomberg uh, has identified that by 2030, uh, this is a $23 trillion global industry, so these products are going to be hugely in demand. There's technology components to it. so. It's, it is truly all kinds of jobs for all kinds of people, and we want to make sure that they're good paying jobs, that they're sustainable jobs, that you can raise a family on. The president is very supportive of them being union jobs. And so, um, and of course, union jobs are secure and give you the benefits and all of that and have training and apprenticeships. In fact, uh, for companies that do, uh, that are going to be building buildings, for example, a lot of construction jobs uh, for new factories, uh, apprenticeships are rewarded uh, in the Invest in America agenda. So there's, there's uh, an awful lot from, um, from apprenticeships to actual, uh, you know, training, to jobs in the field, to jobs in factories, to jobs building software, to jobs designing, uh, installing, it's a, it is a, a jobs paradise jobs paradise and speaking of apprenticeships i know that if they believe it was in
1: june i know it was over the summer that you and mitch landry were in tennessee you visited an ibew i 175 i was in chattanooga that's where it was um and this was a 400 person apprenticeship program um i believe that they are representing about 3,600 electrical workers in southeast tennessee and northwest georgia as well as northeast atlanta just reflect a little bit on what you saw when you were there.
2: Yeah, the, the IBEW, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, are, have, been, uh, have a whole training program on installing electric vehicle charging stations, for example, and so they were doing a lot of training on that. And the great thing is the, they are recruiting from, um, from high schools, from colleges, from the community, and because it is an apprenticeship program and you go in and you get paid to earn while you learn, and so you can be installing charging stations and learning about how to do that and getting paid, Uh, and getting that credential. So this is not just, and this is true with the linemen uh, that are being trained by the IBEW in uh, all across the country. It's true with um, those who are installing utility scale, in other words, large scale solar panels and solar systems, Um, those workers, can come out earning six figures uh easily because of uh of the uh, incredible training and incredible apprenticeship program uh, and that they become linemen and they can get overtime it's a it's a really terrific opportunity and you don't have to have a college degree oh look at
1: that this you were just mentioning that this um apprenticeship program that you visited while in tennessee with uh with mitch landrew was helping train folks up on EV chargers. And I want to talk about that because we have seen headlines um, where reporters and folks have this perception that we don't have enough chargers. We aren't moving fast enough in installing enough chargers. And if we want to get um, drivers to really adopt, you know, EVs, we need to do more to quell range anxiety. Now, this Investing in America agenda, um, really is focused in on that. I mean, there is billions of dollars for building out a nationwide EV charging network. So can you explain um, a little bit about what we're doing, what this administration is doing to make charging more available? Yeah,
2: I mean, the president's agenda, the bipartisan infrastructure law, put seven and a half billion dollars out to be able to uh, get to states to install electric vehicle charging stations in specific areas where the private sector has not already done so, so right now there's about 165,000 chargers out across the country um, through the private sector, but they're going to places often that already have electric vehicles. And so, what about those places that you know, rural places, uh, you know, places where um, people haven't picked up on electric vehicles? What about the ability to charge on long distance travel, et cetera. And so the Biden administration wants to fill in those gaps. The goal is to get 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations out across the country. Um, And the first tranche of money went to states to go along these transportation corridors. And the goal is to have one EV charger, um, with multiple ports every 50 miles along the main um, transportation corridors, they need to be app-enabled, super easy, so you can see what's what's going on, whether it's full, whether somebody's already using it, um, and and be able to go to it and access it quickly. The second tranche of money is going to be uh, going, again, going through the states to go to areas that where EVs have not gone, so in rural areas, in urban areas, in for multi-family uh, dwellings, et cetera, so that wherever you go, it is not a question about whether you'll be able to find uh, an electric vehicle charger. This addresses, of course, what is known as range anxiety. And uh, the hope is that we can take down the fear of buying an electric vehicle by having the these chargers be ubiquitous across the country. Yeah, now back again to having a strategy. This is an industrial policy. (laughs) It's amazing.
1: It truly is. (laughs) Um, And I think, too, what's really unique about this one is that this is the first time ever that America has put this concerted effort together to build out an EV charging network, so.
2: Right, I mean, we did this for the US uh, highway system. This is 21st century infrastructure that is necessary and that the administration is taking this on.
1: And we're seeing progress, right? Yeah, we there are. There a couple we, of openings recently. In
2: fact, I think this week, uh, Ohio had its first um, its first charging station that was funded through the bipartisan infrastructure law they had a groundbreaking we're going to have a couple more here in the next couple of weeks and i think in 2024 you're going to see a huge amount of these ones that are funded by this effort really uh popping up in states all across the country strategy
1: and policy in action excellent (laughs) um and so you know secretary when we were talking uh, a short while ago about energy communities um you know you were noting that the administration is really focusing in on making sure that those who have too often been left behind um, are actually part of and play a very pivotal role in this clean energy transition. Talk about how the energy department is connecting with these communities, actually bringing them along, having letting them have a seat at the table.
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things that I think are important here. One is um, one of the opportunities the grand opportunity is something called renew america's schools and it is going to underserved schools to to install energy efficient uh, um, equipment and make sure that the kids in those schools have access to the same kinds of uh, of of comfortable spaces that uh kids in wealthier areas do and so we were in memphis um you were with me right i was Uh, it was so amazing first of all the day it was probably 100 degrees and we go to this school and they give us a tour and one of the things that they wanted to do with their funding, and we gave, the, I think it was $9 million that went to this school, something like that. Um, they wanted to replace their windows. Well, they showed us the windows. The windows were like these plastic windows that were all, um, you know, blackened out yeah, they could kids dark. couldn't even see out of them the, the the lights in the school weren't working the hvac system was importantly was not here. working i mean what kids have to it's hard enough to learn but when you have to learn in an environment that is that is horrible physically so the, they were thrilled now this program was to, this program this renew america schools where all these schools um, put in applications was way oversubscribed, which tells you what the need is out there for schools. So in communities, whether it is places where people gather like that, or making sure that the communities themselves have a seat at the table in these big projects. So for example, we are requiring for the first time ever that those who are seeking grants from the Department of Energy enter uh, have a community benefits plan, meaning the community, uh, they, are they engaging with them? Who, are they at the table? Do they have good, strong uh, labor standards? Are 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 people from the community going to be hired? Are they going to be trained? What is the what is the benefit to the community that is that is uh, going to be presented by this applicant? And and 20% of the grant opportunities are going to be graded on the strength of these community benefit plans. So it's a way. You know, we, we often talked about we often talk about structural inequity, and uh, it's a way for us to try to heal, to try to embed some structural equity, uh, especially for communities that really um, have been on the margins and have, you know, have disproportionately borne the brunt of of pollution to be actually at the at the front of the table when it comes to the benefits of this clean energy economy. Yeah,
1: and, and you make it a point to to make sure to visit these communities. I know you recently <clears> came off of a tour, um, or a visit rather, uh, to the river parishes in, in Louisiana. You were in Port Arthur in Texas, and so I think that's, that's another sort of very key example of showing action to strategy, action to plans of, you know, it's not just lip service. It, you know, sitting there making sure that there are these conversations so folks are really aware of the work that this agency is yeah, doing. Yeah,
2: and I think it's re- it's just so important to hear their lived experience of people who have been negatively impacted by the current energy system so that we don't repeat the lessons of the past. And if, you know, if you're living a stone's throw away from a, you know, an oil and gas storage Tank, or you're living under a, you know, a, near a distillation unit or, or flared uh, stacks, where um, you know particulate matter is is raining down. You know, it's no wonder they call these areas Cancer Alley, and so. How can we help to ensure that those, you know, the particulates from diesel trucks, for example, if we electrify those trucks, those trucks are not only quieter, but they're not emitting those cancer-causing particulates. And what a great thing that is for those communities to to ensure that their air is cleaner through technology. And, you know, going back to lived experiences
1: and hearing from people directly, mm. I want to finally touch on... Your travel and your visits to Puerto Rico. Um, you know, we're aware that, or maybe folks aren't aware, but that Puerto Rico has a very ambitious, and I'd say also too realistic, uh, plan to get to 40% renewable energy by 2025 and 100% renewable energy by 2050. So, talk about a little bit of the progress that you're seeing on the island, the work that DOE is doing through studies, um, as well as funding that was appropriated um, to be able to assist more vulnerable populations in um, Puerto Rico, be able to have access to things such as solar panels.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's just, I mean, pulling back, the reason why we're so focused on Puerto Rico is because it has been uniquely savaged by climate change and by extreme weather events. Hurricane Maria five years ago, uh, earthquakes after that, Hurricane Fiona, it, it They already had a terrible energy system, and it was only made that much worse by these hurricanes. And so the president went down after Hurricane Fiona and said um, that the Department of Ener- Energy should help lead to get to their goals of, as you say, 40 percent um, by 2025 20, of renewable energy, clean energy. So. It's very exciting because um, we went to we've gone to um, a, a number of communities. I think 20 communities on the yeah, just on the in, island just in 2023. Yeah. Just in 2023. Yeah, Speaking to homeowners and community in community centers, we've gone uh, we've heard from everybody from industry to uh, folks who are really living on the margins. Particularly, communities, uh, people with disabilities, who are the the hardest hit during a hurricane, because if you have a if you have a machine, uh, if you have a machine-based disability and you need a a breathing machine, et cetera, and you don't have electricity and you're out, you know, I mean, some Hurricane Maria, people were out for months uh, at a time. Uh, without power, I mean, it is—it's a question of life and death.
1: Yeah, and you've went to hospitals and medical centers yeah. while on the island right. who either did not have access to solar and backup storage, and those who did, mm-hmm. and kind of that stark difference
2: and of people exactly died. what you're saying. People died. I mean, it's just—you know—it is a question of life and death. I mean, for honestly, in many places in America, access to solar power is about cheaper power, and that is true. But in Puerto Rico, it is a question of life and death. It is a question of resilience, of, of being able to have access to your phone, you know, to charge, et cetera. So anyway, the bottom line is uh, the, the Congress um, said that we would, uh, that passed uh, an appropriation for a billion dollars to be um, applied to p- rooftop solar in Puerto Rico. Um, and so we are rolling out this program. It'll serve a, a, about 40,000 of the most vulnerable homes. At the same time, um, Puerto Rico is taking advantage of these tax credits as well. And so there is, when we were there last in November, 100, the 100,000th home had um, installed solar and storage, importantly. It's not just solar panels, it's solar and storage, because of course that creates the resiliency. So we're very excited by what is happening. There's a lot of work still to do, but um, you know, Puerto Rico, uh, you know, f- 40 plus or plus percent of Puerto Ricans live in poverty and um, it is a vulnerable island and the ability to be able to provide this is a gift uh, to not you know it really is it's a gift to those of us who are able to help. Uh, It's really uh, an amazing place to be with amazing people. Love Puerto Rico and uh, hopefully we'll be um, significantly helpful in helping them reach their goal.
0: Well that about wraps it up for this year. Before we finish off this end of year episode of Direct Current, I'll leave you with the last words, Secretary Granholm. Do you have any last reflections on a very productive year at the department or what you're looking forward to in 2024? Well, let me just say,
2: you know, as I uh, say to our team all the time here, this is such an amazing time to be working at the Department of Energy with resources to be able to really help and impact uh, the globe and this country and communities. And um, I would just want to put out a pitch. Um, We are always looking to hire folks who are interested in the mission and who've got, um, you know, a variety of skills. We have a clean energy core, um, and we are – I encourage people to go to our website to be able to do that because this is a place to work that is second to none. And uh, it's a privilege to be in this – in this space at this time under this administration, and I welcome others.
0: Well, I think we can all agree with that. Absolutely. That's it for another episode of Direct Current. Thank you to our guests, Secretary Jennifer Granholm and Charisma. If you want to learn more about DOE's accomplishments this year, check out our show notes. You can find those along with our other episodes at energy.gov podcast. Direct Current and our episode artwork is produced by me, Sarah Harmon. This episode was written by Charisma Troiano, Usha Sahai, and Amanda Finney. Video and sound editing by Connor McCabe. This is a production of the U.S. Department of Energy, published from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening.